Welcome to the SMC 2022 podcast. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave an invitation that changed the world. Come, follow me. Today, we have the same invitation. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Decision Making. Let's not overcomplicate this. My name is Cooper Cadle. I am the mobilization director for Stumos, Oklahoma region. My wife and I live right next to campus there in Norman. Boomer Sooner, baby. And our son Colt just turned one the other day. We are having a lot of fun. We love getting to be in this role, helping students involved in our ministry transition out of college and into the next season of life after graduation. Today, we are going to be talking about, you guessed it, decision making. Have you ever made a really bad decision? One that you regret and have thought about many times since? I've made a lot of those in my life. I remember growing up, I was at camp where one of the required activities was to go horseback riding. I hate horses. I want nothing to do with an animal larger than me unless I have a gun in my hand. We have four-wheelers at this camp, and for some reason, one of the required activities was to go ride an animal. I just don't get it. But I was forced to go, or I had to leave the camp. When we arrived at the stables, the lady in charge asked us to get into three groups. The first was someone who had never ridden a horse before. The second was somebody who had some experience and felt confident on a horse. The third group was anyone who would consider themselves an expert. Well, I figured, hey, that's where all the best horses are. Group three. So if I'm going to have to ride a horse, I might as well hop in group three with the best horses. Well, turns out I was the only one that went and stood in group three. Miss Horse Lady came over to me and without even asking about my background with horses or questioning me to see if I knew anything, she just got really excited and said, hey, you should go grab Bullet out of the barn. He's one of my favorites. I said, absolutely. That day was the first day I had ever seen a horse up close, much less ridden one. So Miss Horse Lady comes back and says, hey, I think you should lead the group through the trail today. And so I did. And you know what? I felt pretty good about it. We were about halfway through when I thought, man, I've nailed this. This was a great decision. But we got to this big open field and Miss Horse Lady trotted up next to us on the side and she thanked me for having gone so slow and patient. She said, hey, because of that, why don't you show everyone what it's like to just really open her up? Go ahead and take off. So, again, first time on a horse, but I've watched enough movies to know how to get a horse to run faster. So I leaned in, I spurred that thing, and it took off. And one thing that I didn't realize that when I was in the stall getting bullet out, Everyone outside was getting the lesson on how to adjust their stirrups. If you don't know what a stirrup is, it's the thing that your feet go into, and it helps to adjust the height you're at, how far you sit off the horse when you're standing up. So, turns out, for the 100 yards that Bullet just took off sprinting, I felt like I was getting kicked in between the legs 100 times. It was in that moment I realized this was a terrible decision. Life is all about decision making. Think about it. 
Everything that you've chosen to do in your life has led you to where you are today. Our decisions affect us in some way. Some benefit us. Some embarrass us. Some leave us feeling scared. Some leave us feeling empty. Decision-making affects us, and because of that, decisions can be really hard. Researchers have said that you make upwards of 35,000 decisions a day. That's wild to me. I struggle to decide if I'm even going to brush my teeth in the morning or not, so 35,000 more feels a little overwhelming. Don't worry. I brush my teeth every night. It's just the morning that I question that. But have you ever related to feeling overwhelmed by decision-making? We all have situations in life where we just don't know what to do. We can become paralyzed or fearful of making the wrong decision. The problem is that doesn't stop. We never get to a point in life where we no longer have to make decisions. In fact, I might argue the older you get, the more decisions you have to make. Not all of them are major. Some of them are small, you know, do I go to class or do I just pretend to be watching on Zoom? Do I go home this weekend or do I stay at school? Do I get the burrito or do I go with the bowl? That one's a little easier. Obviously, you go with the bowl, tortilla on the side. If you know, you know, you know. But some decisions are truly life-altering decisions. Should I date this guy? Should I change my major? What job should I take when I graduate? There are so many people struggling with decision-making that there are people who have devoted their life to figuring out why it's so hard. Scientists have come up with some really fancy terms for different reasons why people struggle with decision-making. Here are just a few of them. The first one is called cognitive bias. It's the idea that you just become so comfortable with your current decision or your current situation when you're asked to make a decision to change Even though it might be a good change, you just aren't sure if you should choose that. And so you feel, again, this tension of, well, I'm okay with where I'm at, but I I think that could benefit me. And then you struggle to make that decision. Another one is status quo bias. It's the idea that we are so accustomed to just wanting what other people have around us. If everyone else chooses to do something, then naturally we think that's the right decision. Even though you might be able to identify, hey, that's not the best choice for me and there's something else that might be better, because that's the status quo that everyone else is choosing, you think, well, maybe that is the right choice and you struggle to decide. Another one is called anchoring bias. Anchoring bias is the idea that we rely too heavily on the first thing we hear. So even though you might hear uh, two or three other options after the first one, and you think that maybe option two or three is a better option than the first one, you can't help but feel tied to that first one simply because it was the first one you heard. The last one is called choice overload. This is simply the idea that Too many choices lead us to not wanting to choose anything at all. I relate to this a lot. Every time I walk into the gas station, I am a big energy drink guy, and I used to be just a plain old Red Bull. You give me a Red Bull, I'm happy. But now you walk in, and there are sections of energy drinks, and I stand there for minutes at a time just debating, wondering, which one should I choose? 
The meaning of the word decide comes from a Latin word, dicidere. Dicidere. I'm a little rusty on my Latin, but here is what the root of these two words mean. De, meaning away, and cidere, meaning to cut. So a decision literally means to cut away. So we think of deciding like we're choosing one thing, but in reality, the word decision actually comes from the meaning to cut away everything else. This makes so much sense why we struggle with decision making. We can't help but focus on what we're having to choose to cut away rather than what we're gaining by choosing one thing. If we have option A and B, instead of focusing on what we gain with option A, if we choose that, we can't help but think about all we lose with option B by choosing option A. That's a little stressful. It becomes harder when both of those options are good options. Have you ever had that friend who tells you like, hey, you can't go wrong. Both are good options. For me, that's so stressful because all I'm thinking about is I have to say no to a good option now. Thank you for your help, friend. And then on top of that, when more options are thrown into the mix, instead of just choosing between A and B, if you have more options, now it becomes even more stressful because you can't help but think about all that you're losing with options B, C, D, E. No wonder decision-making is so difficult. And on top of that, if you are following Jesus, it adds a whole nother dimension to your decision-making process. Logic aside, you have this emotion now, this feeling of wanting to honor God with your decisions. Have you ever wondered how many of your decisions God actually cares about? And if he does care, how can we make sure that our decisions are in line with God's will for our life? I mean, what even is God's will for our life? Can we know it? What happens if we don't do it perfectly? Decision-making can make us feel a lot of uncertainty, anxiety, and pressure. Can we all agree with that? Maybe you played with one of those magic eight balls growing up. I used to have one. You know the thing that uh, you, sh- you ask a question, you shake it up, and then it gives you like one of a, a few answers like yes, no, maybe, ask again later. Uh That toy was created in the 1940s, and yet still today there are over a million Magic 8 Balls sold every year. It just proves that we want someone or something to tell us what to do. Maybe there's a pressing decision that you are needing to make soon. I'm talking like end of this podcast soon, and you're hoping that I'm going to give you the answer you need. If you feel any stress when it comes to decision-making, I think you're in the right place. I, I believe you're going to be able to walk away from this with a better understanding of decision-making and the ability to make better decisions based on what God wants for your life. I promise it will be more helpful than a magic eight ball or flipping a coin. Hey, if you're with somebody, discuss this. If not, just think about this to yourself. But what is the decision you're facing or will be facing soon and you don't know what to do. Decision-making is tough, and I want to help. 
We're going to talk about a few different things today on this episode. First is different types of decisions. And then we're going to talk about how not to make decisions. And then lastly, I'm going to try to give you some steps to making great decisions. Here is why what we're covering today is important. The decisions you make today will determine the person you become in the future. The decisions you make today will determine who you become tomorrow. Being able to make better decisions will help you live more confident and have fewer regrets in life. Let's dive in. I want to talk about some different types of decisions. The first type of decision is the easiest to make. These are right and wrong decisions. These are character issues, sin issues. The answer most of the time is obvious. Do I cheat on this test? Do I lie to my girlfriend? Do I cuss this dude out for dorting in my wife's car in the parking lot? Not to be too specific. But these things are morally obvious. These are easy, not because we just internally know right and wrong, but rather they're easy because God's word has made it clear for us what to do. My guess is you are not listening to this podcast because you're struggling with, do I choose what's right or what's wrong? I would guess that you're struggling with the second type of decisions, which are much less obvious. I call these right and left decisions. Have you ever had a difficult decision where you've come to what maybe feels like a fork in the road and you think, hey, they're both good options, but I just don't know which one to choose. I hear all the time students say, well, I just don't know what God's will is for my life. And I think that's a dangerous question or it can be a dangerous question to ask that in those moments because there's this underlying premise when you ask that, that you're saying, hey, God has this specific path he wants for me. And if I don't choose it, then I'm in the wrong. And the reality is that we just don't see that in scripture. This adds stress to our decision-making process with something that we don't see as the norm in scripture. In fact, there are only four different times in scripture that the Bible says, hey, this is the will of God. I want to talk to you about these four. So that way you can have some confidence in these right and left decisions. And so the first will of God is that we would have security of salvation in Jesus. John 6.40 says this, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Do you see that? Father's will is everyone who looks to the Son and believes shall have eternal life. God wants us to have this sense of security in our salvation that comes from Jesus. I love that that's the Father's will for my life, that I don't have to overcomplicate what is God's will for my life because God's given it to me right here that I would have security in the gospel. That gives me so much comfort. The second will of God we see in scripture is the sanctification and separation from sin. In 1 Thess 4.3, it says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Pretty cut and dry right here. God is saying, hey, it is God's will that you would be sanctified, meaning separated from sin. 
that you would avoid sexual immorality in specific. But this is for everyone. Anyone who is a believer, anyone who is in Christ, this is God's will for you, that you would begin to separate from sin. You would live a life that's pursuing holiness rather than sin. And that specifically you would avoid sexual immorality. That's God's will for your life. The third one is also in First Thess. Uh, it's stay joyful, thankful, and reliant. First Thess 5, 16 through 18 says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God, or this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. 1 Thess 5, 16 through 18 says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. These three simple things, it makes sense this life that we're living can be hard. We can, we can have so many things that don't go our way or so many circumstances that feel overwhelming or there are things that when we're pursuing sanctification and we're trying to remain in our you know, security of salvation, things that can hinder that or try to hinder that. And God is saying, hey, it's my will for you that you would find a way to rejoice always, that you would pray and you'd be talking to me constantly and that you would give thanks in all circumstances, no matter what that circumstance might be. Again, so simple. I really appreciate that God has given us something that, you know, it, it's so simple, yet it's really deep that this could be applied to any circumstance for any believer all over the world. And that's God's will. The fourth one is submit to doing right. 1 Peter 2, 15 says, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. This is God's will for all of us who are in Christ, that we would do good and that our good would begin to impact other people, that we would look to scripture, know what's right, we would apply it, and as a result of that, by doing good, it would have this profound impact on the world. That makes sense that that's God's will for anyone who's in Christ. These four things, the security of salvation, sanctification and separation from sin, staying joyful, thankful, and reliant, and submitting to doing what's right. This is God's will for anyone who is a believer. Don't overcomplicate this. Now, it doesn't mean that God might not want something more specific for your life. In fact, I believe that he does. But in regards to holding you accountable, the things that are right and wrong, this is what scripture says. These four things. If you aren't doing one of these four things, then yeah, you're in sin and you are outside of God's will. But any other decision where you're at the fork in the road and you're like, I just don't know which one is God's will for my life. The reality is that you can't choose wrong. I hate to be that friend telling you you've got two options and you can't choose wrong, but that is what scripture would align with. Hey, you can't choose wrong. And so God is not going to hold you accountable for decisions like, do I take a job out of school or do I go into grad school? There isn't going to be a punishment for that. You're not going to be held accountable like you're in sin because those are not specifically laid out in scripture. These right and left decisions are everywhere. 
there's probably a, a lot of different categories even of right and left decisions. You know, you've got these uh, 35,000 decisions that you make every day. Like, do I hit snooze or, or do I get out of bed? Do I take a shower today or, or do I or go to the gym first or do I uh, brush my teeth or not this morning? These are no big deal right or left decisions. There is not going to be consequences uh, if you eat at Panda or Payway at lunch. It's like, do you spend the $1,000 for a PS5 on Facebook Marketplace right now? Or do you save that for later? Do I work over break or do I just drain my savings? Do I spend my Christmas money on this or do I you know, save it? Those are right or left decisions that are really not that big of a deal and you're not going to be held accountable. There isn't really a wrong choice there. Then right or left decisions can can be a little weightier as you get into things like, should I drop a class or do I stay in 18 hours? Do I date this person or not? Do I take a summer class or do I just push graduation out later? Those feel a little heavier simply because the consequences of them have a little bit bigger effect on your life. Again, not that you'd be punished by choosing wrong, but just simply the reality of the consequences of these decisions have a greater impact on your life. And then I would say there are some really important right and left decisions that I would love to talk about. These are spiritual right and left decisions. These, I believe, are even greater and probably carry more weight and can have some stress in your decision-making process, not because they have a greater profound impact just on your life, but on really your eternity. Questions like, do I get involved with SUMO when I get back on campus? It's not a sin issue. If you don't get involved with SUMO on your campus, you are not in sin. But it's a difficult decision for some people. Do I live in the fraternity or sorority again so I can continue to make an impact on younger students? Not a sin issue, but it's a it's a really difficult right or left decision that uh, sometimes can feel like a right or wrong. Despite starting to follow Jesus recently, you might be struggling with, well, I already paid my deposit for the spring break trip to Destin. And now you're sitting here wondering if that's a good idea for you or not. Right or left decision. Internship this summer. Do you go to Kaleo? Right or left decision. Most choices are often between good and better or better and best, not right and wrong. I will encourage you though, that as you're chewing on some of these right and left decisions, not to justify uh, choosing good over better, simply because it's still a good option. Don't settle for good. In fact, I say a lot that the biggest enemy of great is not bad, but good. The biggest enemy of great is good. And so it's worth really chewing on some of these right and left decisions to see which one you might make. I had a friend recently that asked me, well, what happens when you know, we're at the fork in the road and we choose a decision that feels right in the moment and then later on we regret it or, you know, even sometimes the, you know, two good options and you can't choose wrong, but then later it leads to something bad happening. Like 
what is that? Is that a punishment from God showing you that that was a wrong decision earlier on? And I would say probably not. In fact, I think God's given us the freedom to choose. And sometimes when we choose good and not better, or we choose maybe an average decision when God really wanted us to choose a great decision, God lets us choose these for a reason. Here's why. My son Colt is a one-year-old. He is in such a fun season of life. He is so uh, curious. He is all over the house crawling, trying to walk, climb on things. And one of his favorite things to do right now is to, to go to the kitchen and open and close drawers. He loves, like cabinets and drawers are his thing. And my family the other day asked, hey, are you going to baby-proof your house now that Colt is getting in and out of the, the, the drawers. And I said, no, we're actually going to houseproof our baby. And my parents did not like that. But the reason I'm choosing to do this, the reason my wife and I are choosing to do this is because we want to see our son learn that there are consequences for your decisions. We're not letting him, you know, crawl in the street or not. We're not, you know, nothing that big. Uh, but we want him to learn that, hey, if you open and close these drawers, you might smash your finger. And so I encourage him not to, but it's not a right or wrong. It's a, he's going to have to learn and mature through that. I want Colt to learn that there are consequences for his decisions. It's not a punishment. It's just that I think he's going to mature through these. I, I'm not letting him crawl into the bathroom and, you know, play in poopy water or something, but I am wanting him to learn that, hey, sometimes when you make a decision, um, it leads to an owie. And I think God's doing the same thing with us. You know, two good options, uh, but one is clearly better than the other, especially in regards to maybe your your health or your spiritual life. And And God is letting us, he's given us the freedom to choose maybe a decision that's not as good so that maybe, you know, we're feeling the weight of those consequences, that when you procrastinate for that test and then you're stressed the the morning of and you know you're begging God like God why you know why do I feel this way God can you just help me with this test I think God's like hey I would have loved for you to learn not to procrastinate or maybe you're overwhelmed this semester and you're in 18 or even 21 hours and you are just at your breaking point at finals and you're like God why would you put me in this season and I think God's looking back at you and like, I did not ask you to be in 21 hours. Maybe you should not do that next semester. He wants us to mature through our decisions. We actually see this in scripture. Back in Genesis, at the very beginning, God creates Adam and then he, he begins to bring all the animals by Adam. And Adam is given the responsibility to name the animals. God doesn't give him a list and say, hey, I want you to go through and name them this. He says, you have the freedom, Adam, to choose this. And as Adam is going through this freedom of decision making, he actually gets to the end and he realizes, hey, God, there's not a suitable helper for me. Everyone else had, you know, male and female, male and female, and I don't have that. And God, uh, as a result of that, actually gives him Eve. And it's this beautiful like sign of maturity where Adam has this freedom to to choose. And I'm sure, you know, some of the names that he came up with, God was like, hey, that is creative, Adam. I'm proud of you, man. And then sometimes I'm sure, you know, he named something like a platypus. And God's like, Adam, 
what are you thinking, dude? And so Adam matured through that. And I think God wants us to mature through the freedom of our decisions as well. Let's talk about what we do with right and left decisions. So I want to talk about first how not to make these decisions. The first thing I'd say is don't stress. I hear college students all the time talking about how stressed out they are because they have decisions to make about their future. I have spent a lot of time with graduating, you know, juniors and seniors over the last few years. And it seems to be that most college students feel like they're standing at the edge of graduation and they're looking at a dartboard and they have one dart and they have to hit the bullseye to win. And if they don't, then they've just set their whole life up for, you know, a series of failure after failure. If they have to change careers in their 20s, then, uh, you know, life might as well be over. And I just would encourage you, don't buy into that. If you are graduating and you're feeling pressure of what to do, don't believe the dartboard lie that you get one shot to hit the bullseye and anything else than that is far less than perfect. In fact, I would say that uh, your career and, and, and even God's will for your life after school might be something more like a soccer net where there's a hundred different places for that ball to go in and score and every single way you put the ball in the net, it's worth the exact same amount. You have lots of different ways to win. It is not a bullseye and everything else is subpar or failure. Right and wrong decision, the Bible makes it clear, hey, there are consequences when we disobey, but for right and left decisions, that fork in the road decision you are not going to be held accountable. And so we don't have to feel that stress. And if you are stressed and you can't seem to shake that, I would encourage you to run to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I am not above feeling stress and decision-making. My wife and I recently have made the decision that we're going to be moving across the country, and there's just going to be a lot that goes into that with you know grandchildren and moving them away from their grandparents, and that, that could feel like a really stressful decision. And as I felt a little bit of uh, anxiety about that decision, I remembered this verse and I ran to it. And I just began to meditate on this, the idea that I shouldn't be anxious, but in all situations, I should present my request to God. And I did. And, I, and all of a sudden, uh, verse 7 just became true of my life, that the peace of God, which surpasses, transcends all understanding, it protected and guarded my heart and my mind in Jesus. And so I would encourage you, if you are someone who naturally struggles with decision-making and you feel a lot of anxiety or stress in that process, that you should probably memorize this verse. And that when decision-making comes up, before you even start to, to process pros, cons, and this or that, I would encourage you to just spend some time sitting in this verse and asking God for this to be true of your life. The second thing under how not to make a decision would be don't expect a sign. Have you ever looked from a sign from God before? You know, you're wanting to ask that girl and you're like, 
if a shooting star comes in the next 30 seconds, God, I know you want me to ask her out. Or uh, you, you're reading fortune cookies like they're from God himself. You will be extremely successful in business. And you're like, that's it. I'm switching majors. Or maybe after a breakup, you hear you and your ex's song on the radio and you're like, this is a sign from God that he wants us back together. <laughs> the Bible is not going to tell you to get your master's or take a job out of college. The Bible is not going to just make decisions for you. God is not going to give you a sign. I would encourage you not to expect one simply because you might be taking something that's purely coincidental and then just attaching God's name to it. And I think that completely takes faith out of the equation. Here's something I hear all the time. Well, I just feel like I should, or I just feel that this is the right decision. We think that our emotions are this sign from God. We think that if we feel a certain way, if our gut is telling us something, then it has to be right. The Bible says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In Jeremiah 17, 9. It's saying that the heart, which is the source of our emotions, is untrustworthy as our guide. Now, it doesn't mean you have to ignore your emotions or that they're bad. Uh, it just means that when you're trying to make decisions, emotions cannot be the driving factor. You have the ability to talk yourself into anything. And so you should learn to develop a skill to be skeptical of your own emotions. You don't have to wait to hear God audibly speak to you. In fact, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I don't even think I know anyone who has. And, and so if you're constantly waiting for a sign from God, that's just not how God normally operates. I would encourage you to not look for a sign. The last thing I want to do today is help you make godly decisions. Here are some steps that you can take in making good godly decisions. The first one is, might be obvious, but I want you to run to scripture. Run to scripture. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this uh, because we've already talked about it, but there are going to be times in scripture that the answer is black and white. It's a wrong or right decision. But in some of those fork in the road decisions, the right and left, you should still be seeking scripture. And you might be in a season where that seems daunting or overwhelming to you. And I would encourage you to just run to someone who can help you. Ask someone who's older in the faith. Ask someone uh, who you look up to or is pouring into you spiritually and say, hey, what does the Bible say about this? I'm struggling with this decision. What do you think scripture would say and be able to speak some wisdom into my life. Not asking for their opinion. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But asking someone, hey, what does the Bible say about this? The second thing is ask yourself some great questions. I want to give you one key question that fleshes itself out into a few different questions that you need to ask yourself when making decisions. Honestly, if you take one thing away from this podcast that's practical, this would be it. Ask yourself, what is the wisest thing to do? Let me get more specific. Here are the three follow-up questions. In light of your past experiences, what is the wisest thing to do? Maybe you've bounced from relationship to relationship your whole life. You, you had a girlfriend or boyfriend all through high school, and maybe most or all of college so far, but you, your relationship just ended. And as you're processing 
the the next relationship may be in light of your past experiences, you need to just take a break. I I say ask the the question what's the wisest thing to do? It's a better question than should I do this? Because should I leads you to is this allowable? Asking am I allowed to be in a relationship or should I be in a relationship is not quite the same as is it wise? The second question to ask is in light of your current circumstances, what is the wisest thing to do? Look at this upcoming semester. Is there something special about it or unique about it that is going to shape your decisions? If you're taking 18 hours and you're working part-time, it's probably not wise for you to join another campus organization. If money is tight, it might not be good to go on that spring break trip that's going to cost you so much money. The third question that I would ask yourself is, in light of your future hopes and dreams, what is the wisest thing to do? If you want to become a godly man or woman, if you want to impact other people, what can you choose to do now that will help that be true of you later on? What's the legacy you want to leave? What story do you want people to tell about you? In light of your future hopes and dreams, what's the wisest decision to do? Because your hopes and dreams will determine the decisions that you need to make today. Like if you dream of making a 4.0 this spring, then you probably shouldn't buy that PS5 because it's going to take up all your time. If you desire to have a spiritual impact on your campus, you might consider setting aside some time to spend more time with older students or staff this spring who have been doing that longer than you. The third thing you want to do in making godly decisions is to seek wise counsel. Notice I didn't say just seek advice or seek counsel. I said to seek wise counsel. You need to learn from a specific type of person. That person should be wiser than you. You need to ask from people wiser than you because your emotions can cloud your judgment. And we've already learned that our emotions are not a reliable source. And so with strong emotional decisions, sometimes we need to push pause and we need to to just call on someone who is wiser than us. Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 15.22 Because we can't trust our feelings, we need to lean on people who have successfully walked in our shoes before. People who have made these decisions before and they've been able to learn from them. I've heard it said before that there's only two ways to gain wisdom. You can either make mistakes and learn from them, or you can learn from people who have made them before. Make sure you're asking the right people. Don't seek advice from someone who you don't respect in that area you're asking. If you have a difficult decision to make with finances, your friend who's never had a job and swipes daddy's credit card for everything is not the friend to ask. Don't get me wrong. You want to have that friend. That friend is the fun friend. That friend, you need to go to that friend's lake house. But don't ask for their help when trying to make a tough decision involving money. You don't want to ask your roommate who's on their third relationship of the semester for relationship advice. If you seek advice from the wrong person, you will probably end up with the wrong answer. When I wanted to date my now wife, Lauren, in college... 
there were some things going on in my life that made me question if I should be in a relationship. And I was just struggling to know what to do. And of course, there was lots of scripture I could have used to justify why I I should be in a relationship, you know, the Adam and Eve, and I need a helper and all these different things. I could listen to these sermons that would, would show how much I needed uh, to be in this healthy relationship and how good it'd be for me. But but even though I, I saw scripture to, to justify what I wanted, I went ahead and put together what I called a board of advisors. And I just had a couple men in my life who I really respected their marriages or their dating relationships at the time. And I decided that before asking Lauren out, I would ask their advice. I would get their input on if this was a good time or even a good relationship to be in before I asked her out. And you know what? I'm so grateful for those men because there were a number of times where I was ready to pull the trigger and they said, hey, here's why this might not be a good time. And it wasn't the answer I wanted to hear, but I can say after four years of a healthy, godly marriage and now with an amazing son and one more on the way, I have no regrets. I don't look back at that and say, you know what? I wish I would have done that sooner. I really, you know, looking at scripture, I could have justified that. I'm really grateful that I sought wise counsel because it's really, uh, it's really benefited my life. The fourth thing that you're going to want to do when making a godly decision is you're going to want to pray. This might feel obvious, but if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives it generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. James 1.5 God wants to lead you and show you what is the best, even when it isn't plainly stated in scripture. I really believe that when you've got the fork in the road decisions, that prayer is going to be the thing that illuminates the best option for you. Scripture, ask yourself great questions, seek wise counsel, and pray. If you do these four things, I promise you, you are going to be making better decisions Decisions that will impact your life in a positive way, that will impact your faith in a positive way, that will impact your friendships and your future relationships and marriages in a positive way. Do these four and it will begin to eliminate the stress of decision making. Take 10 seconds and just think through what's one thing that you need to do to add to your decision making process. I'll close with this. I want to tell you a story about a man named Jonathan Edwards. He was a pastor in Connecticut in the early 1700s. He attended Yale at the age of 13. And then later, he was the president of Princeton. He is a pretty smart dude. He was best remembered for bringing about the spiritual revival in America called the Great Awakening. And although he is remembered for his intellect and his accomplishments, Jonathan Edwards was a really godly man. He was a determined man. He was a decisive man. He lived by a list of 70 resolutions. He wrote out 70 statements and he reviewed them weekly. Really, these are just 70 decisions that shaped Jonathan Edwards' life. He made them proactively 
and these shaped the man that he became. Here are just a few. He resolved never to do anything, whether physically or spiritually, except what glorifies God. He resolved never lose one moment of time, but seize the time to use it in the most profitable way as I can. He resolved never to do anything which I was afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. 70 resolutions, 70 decisions. Some may call that overkill. I call it inspiring. Because these decisions shaped who Jonathan Edwards was and the legacy he left, it shaped the story that was told about him. Your decisions matter. What you decide to do today will determine who you will become in the future. Thank you guys for listening to my podcast again. I would love for you to go check out the other podcasts we have. You can check them out at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. There's some really great stuff from people who care deeply about your success and spiritual health. You won't be disappointed. I'm really grateful you took some time to listen in today. Hoping this helped. Thank you.